And now I want to just ask Van, our senior pastor, he's going to come up and give us the message. Thanks, everybody. That's why I do this. I just love to have you cheer for me, so. Oh, go on. Hey, you know I'm just kidding you. Um, I, a couple of things before we get into the message that I want to point out to you. One, uh, check out Janae Turley's uh, presentation in the back. Janae's going to the Central African Republic. Uh, she's going to go there for a long-term season, two, three years. And so we, we really want to get behind her as a church. And if you've been meaning to talk to her, make sure this is the day you do it, okay? She'll be back there after the service. She'll tell you about her ministry and her vision and her passion and how you can get involved. I mean, you might want to pray. Uh, it would be my desire to see many of us sacrifice to give financially to help her uh, accomplish this and to get to go there. So uh, consider that, okay? Now, we have, uh, I'm sure I'm going to miss a whole bunch of people that are, that are visitors and guests here, but Stephen and Sidney Bowden are here from Germany right now. They're over there serving the Lord. So Stephen, stand up, wave everybody, okay? Yeah. They're working with the vineyard in, uh, in Berlin, in Berlin. And uh, really, really, the national leader of that whole territory over there is the guy that uh, they are working with. So that's exciting. Good to have you guys back. Uh, Josh Murphy is here. Where's Josh? If you don't know Josh, you got to know Josh. Josh, stand up. Come on. Wave, everybody. There's Josh. Josh is at the Bethel School of Ministry in Northern California. And uh, he's out there getting loaded up with good stuff to bring back here when he comes home. And where's Maria Carlson? Is Maria back there? Maria, stand up. Hey, great to have you back here, Maria. It's awesome. Yeah. Maria is one of our budding prophets. She's very gifted prophetically. You know, we've talked about that a lot in, in recent weeks. And if, if you weren't here, go back and you can pick up some stuff in that series. But Maria's doing an internship at a church in California specifically focused on growing in her prophetic gifts. So it's awesome to have you all back here with us, and um, we're just so, so happy you're here. How many of you remember Amanda, who does the announcements periodically? Yeah. Okay, Amanda, you know, Amanda. Well, Amanda is not pregnant any longer, okay? Yeah. Let me give you the details here. This is a Wilder. W-I-L-D-E-R, I love that name, by the way. Wilder David Patton, he was nine pounds, four ounces. Big boy. Born at 10.30 last night, so awesome. Yep, we're thankful. <clears throat> now, after all that, dare I try a short joke? I think so, yes, yeah, yeah, Okay. Here, this is a good one. My wife doesn't like this one, but last service really liked it. <laughs> there are two cockroaches, and they're, they're in a dumpster chomping away on garbage. And one of them's named Phil, one of them's named Joe. And Joe says to Phil, Phil, have you checked out that new restaurant down the street? 
And Phil says, yeah, Joe, I did. And let me tell you, it's spick and span. I mean, there were no crumbs on the floor. There was no grease on the counters, nothing. It even smelled like, it was just so clean. You could smell it, it was so clean. And Joe says, Phil, please, not while I'm eating. (laughs) Come on, Lori, laugh, laugh. Everybody's laughing. (laughs) All right. We have some really good stuff today that the Lord's going to give us. And um, I want to pray and just thank Jesus for coming and for revealing himself to us, showing us who God is. You realize that, don't you? Jesus shows us fully who God is. If you wonder, would God do that, ask yourself, would Jesus do that? You see in his ministry the full revelation of God. And anything, you, anything that, that, that doesn't match with who Jesus is is the stuff we don't understand. God is good. He's good all the time. And you see that all represented in the life of Jesus. And so let's pray right now. There's God the Father who is good. He loves us. He's our Father. Jesus the Son who came to redeem us. And the Holy Spirit who is God present with us. And so, Father God, we're so thankful for your goodness. Thank you. Thank you that your heart is so filled with love and compassion that even when we as a whole race, this whole world, rebelled against you, yet your heart of compassion, your Father's heart, wouldn't release us. And Jesus, thank you that you came into this world to redeem us. Thank you that you, you never gave up the, the, your deity, but you left the glory of heaven to come here, become one of us. Thank you for redeeming us and for rising from the dead, making it possible for your kingdom to be reestablished here and for us to be part of it. And Holy Spirit, you're the one that is right here. You apply it all. And so we welcome your presence. Just say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Teach us. Just say that with me. Teach us. Holy Spirit, teach us. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we talked about why Jesus came. And I said that uh, in one of the uh, angelic visitations said you'll call him Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves, uh, because he'll save his people from their sins. And that sometimes we stop right there and we think, oh, well, what that means is I can be forgiven for my sins and go to heaven when I die. And that's all true, and that's good, and that's cause for rejoicing right there. But if I stop there, I'm stopping at the very elementary, basic, foundational principles of why Jesus came. And if I really want to move into spiritual growth and development, I have to understand the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is this, that Jesus saved us so we could be part of his kingdom, and he came actually to reestablish his kingdom on earth. Now, we talked about this last week, and so if, if you want this in more detail, you can find last week's message on our website and listen to it. But here's the deal. Here's what happened. God created mankind in his image, and in that he placed Adam and Eve, the, the first two human beings, in a garden that we refer to as the Garden of Eden. Now, the Garden of Eden is the equivalent in our cultural thinking today of paradise because it was a perfect place. 
And, and, the, and it was a perfect environment for them to live in. They fit the environment of Eden perfectly. Now, God's intent was, and he, and he commanded them to have babies then, and to fill the earth with babies, to fill the earth with human beings to create other image bearers. God created Adam and Eve and gave them the capacity to multiply, to create other image bearers from themselves. And so God wanted them to fill the earth with image bearers. He told them that. And then he said, subdue the earth. And then he said, rule over it. And so that was God's original commission. So here we have Adam and Eve in this perfect environment, this perfect garden, and they are told to fill the earth with children, and they are told to subdue the earth, which means that apart from that garden, the earth hadn't yet been subdued. It hadn't yet been brought into the order that God intended for it. And so how would that have happened? Well, as Adam and Eve had children, and then their children grow up and have children, there would have been more and more of them to tend the garden. That was their job, to take care of this garden. And the garden itself would have expanded. And it would have kept expanding until it filled the entire earth as Adam and Eve's children filled the entire earth. And so God's original intent was not that Adam and Eve have children and they have to go leave the garden and go out into the world, but that as they... As, there, as, as hum, humanity grew, the garden itself would spread through over the whole earth. That was God's intent. That's his kingdom. Because kingdom means rule. It means reign. It means the place where God's will is obeyed and carried out. And, and so God's intent was his kingdom on the whole earth with humans filling it and human beings then as his, as his representatives acting as the governors over the earth. And yet Adam and Eve, when they were tested, they chose to side with Satan's rebellion instead of trusting God and going with God's plan. And, and that's literally what happened. God, God had told them what to do, told them that if they ate of this one tree, it would bring death because free will has to have some opportunity to operate or it's not free will. And so he gave them this one thing that they could do to disobey him if they, in their free will, chose to disobey him. But Satan came and Satan said, I've got a better deal for you than God. You know, you think, you, you think you're really going to make out well following him and being part of his thing. Let me tell you, I've got a better thing than him. And what they did was to believe Satan's lie. And when they believed Satan's lie, they acted on that wrong belief, and sin came crashing into the world. And it first impacted the heart of Adam and Eve, so that this, these two, who were existing in just perfect unity with each other and God, suddenly they look at each other and they look at themselves and say, wait a second, I've got to cover myself, because they experience shame and so they cover themselves out of shame. And then when God comes to speak with them, they hide from God out of shame. Because now that sin has entered they, and, and that their identity has been broken, they realize they are less than what they were created to be. And, and when we see ourselves as less than what we are created to be or what we think we should be, that gap between what we think we should be and where we are, what that is is shame. 
Now, guilt is different than shame. Guilt is real culpability for doing something that is wrong. They had guilt as well, but the shame was the thing that destroyed their relationship with themselves and with God broken relationship now. Rather than staying in that garden, God put them out of the garden. No longer is it an option to expand the garden. Now they're out of the garden, and the reason for that was an act of mercy on God's part. Because there were two trees in the garden. One, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they had eaten from, and when they felt that the whole race fell with them when they did that. The other tree in the garden was the tree of life. If they had eaten of the tree of life, then they would have been confirmed eternally in their fallen state. And so it was God's intent to redeem them. And he didn't want to let that happen, so he puts them out of the garden, and he actually puts an angel at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword so that they cannot come back in and eat of the tree of life and live forever in a fallen, sinful state. It would have meant that mankind would have been irredeemable had they eaten of the tree of life. And so God now sends his son, Jesus, into the world The Bible refers to Adam as the one who lost it all, but it says the second man came to take it all back, and that second one is Jesus. That's why theologians refer to Jesus often as the second Adam. You know, the first Adam blew it. He gave it all away. The second Adam came, and he reestablished it. He took it all back. Jesus did that when he died on the cross. He not only paid for our sins so we can go to heaven. When he died on the cross, he crushed Satan. When he died on the cross, he defeated the kingdom of darkness. He took away the power of the kingdom of darkness and the authority of the kingdom of darkness so that we not only can be forgiven for our sins, but through the resurrection of Christ, we are changed into new people. It'd be one thing if I was just forgiven, but I'm changed as well. I have different desires, a different heart. The Bible says we become new creations. The Bible says we are born anew, we're, we're born again, that we have righteousness now. And, and I explained this last week, but the term righteous, we typically think of that as meaning sinless. We think of it as being righteous means obeying all the rules. And if I obey all the rules and and I do everything right, then I would be righteous. But really, the word righteous, in the deeper meaning of the word righteous, it it does refer to that, but that's just one aspect of it. The deeper meaning of the word righteous means made right. It's it's being right. It's being recreated right in the right way. Outside Christ, my identity is broken. Outside Christ, my identity is that I am a fallen sinner. In Christ, my identity is restored. That fallen sinner is changed. And I, become, I am made right with God. That's what righteous means, right with God. It means right for the attended purpose. It means God is making me a person that is fit for the kingdom. So I'm not out of place. You might feel like, well, I'm I'm a kingdom person, but I'm like a third level or a fourth level kingdom person. I really don't fit here. Everybody knows that. 
You know, do you ever feel like that? I really don't fit here. These other people, they love Jesus, they love God. And if anybody knew what was really in my life or what knew the thoughts I struggle with, they would realize I don't fit here, I don't belong here. Anybody ever feel that way? I have my hand up, okay? I feel that way sometimes. Righteous means, no, I fit. No, I, I am fit for the kingdom. I am, the way I have been recreated and changed internally I am perfect to exist and live in the kingdom of God. And ultimately, that means in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said that we're to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what God's intent is in his kingdom is that just as he rules heaven and everything is perfect in heaven, he wants heaven on earth. That's his kingdom coming. It is restoring this earth to what he created it to be before there was sickness, before there was sin, before there was heartache and pain and poverty and racism and rejection and all of the horrible things that we see in this world. His intent is to release the power and life of his kingdom into this world to restore it. And when you come to Jesus, what happens is he makes you first fit for the kingdom. You are a kingdom person. And the problem we have is that although we are recreated internally, our minds aren't yet fully renewed. Our minds don't quite catch up with that new creation that we are. And so spiritual growth is the process of having my mind catch up with my heart. Having my mind renewed so that I begin to see life according to what my heart is this new heart that I have, this Jesus heart that I have. And what that takes is revelation from God. It's revelation. The Holy Spirit gives us revelation. You know what revelation is? It is simply revealing. Now, anybody here ever, like, I kind of remember being in the hospital once where they brought me a tray of food that was all covered. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you get the food and it's all covered? Or maybe it's all wrapped up or it's in a bag, you can't see it. You know, you know what you order, but you can't see. Well, revelation is uncovering it. Revelation is just taking the, 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 the covering off the plate so you can see what's actually there. And so we have physical senses. And so with my eyesight, I can have something revealed to me. It, take the towel off and you can see what's under or open the present and you see what's in it. That's, re- that's revelation. You're seeing what's really there. Well, we have spiritual eyes, and we have spiritual eyesight, and the ability to perceive things in the spirit realm, and it takes the Holy Spirit to uncover those things so we can see them. That's what revelation is, okay? So you can have a Bible verse that you've memorized, like this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I memorized that verse within months of being saved back in like 1971, I think it was. I'm still learning what it means because it takes revelation from God to really understand what that means. And so I take a verse like that and I say, God, show me what this means. And in that process, make it part of me. Make it part of my thinking. Make it part of the way I view life so that when I'm looking at life, I'm looking at life through the lens of that truth. That's called worldview, how you look at life. 
And so this whole mind renewal thing is the, the Holy Spirit taking God's truth of his word and opening it up to our minds so that we see it, so that we say, well, I've been reading that passage for years, but now I see it, and, and it speaks to me, and I understand it. That's revelation. And, and that's, that's, that's what God wants to do for each one of us, is to give us deeper revelation into who he is and what his will is for our lives and what he's already done for us and what he wants to do for us. Okay, that's, that's what the whole thing is all about. And so this is all cause for one word we're gonna focus on today is this, joy. Okay, it's all cause for joy because when you really begin to understand, I mean, just thinking, okay, I'm forgiven and going to heaven, that's cause for joy right there. But boy, when you add the rest of this into it, it's, it's not I'm forgiven, but I'm still a sinner. I'm forgiven, but I still have a rotten heart. And I have to exercise, I have to ex- have a strong willpower so I can say no to my rotten heart. When I realize, no, that's not right. No, my rotten heart's gone. Yes. Jesus took that out and made me a new creation. He gave me his heart. He gave me his insides so that as a new creation now, when I really begin to understand that, that's really cause for joy. And I realize I get to be part of this kingdom of God thing. I get to to be part of that. I get to be part of establishing and spreading his kingdom throughout the whole earth. When we really begin to grasp that, there's something so different that takes place in the way we view life that joy just becomes part of the equation. Now, joy was part of the Christmas story uh, from, from, the, from the get-go, from the very beginning. In fact, even before Jesus was born, there was a man born named John the Baptist. John was Jesus' cousin, and he was also the last of the Old Testament prophets. You know what the Old Testament prophets did? Basically two things. They spoke to the heart of the nation of Israel spoke to a few other nations occasionally too, but mainly it was speaking to the heart of the nation of Israel. Here's what God's doing. Here's what God says. And they also pointed to a day when the Messiah would come. And they said, he's coming. The Messiah's coming. Well, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was the one that got to say, not only is he coming, he's here right now. And so that was such a blessed thing that when John the Baptist was born, there was an angel that came to to tell his father that he was going to be born. And his father, Zechariah, and his mother, Elizabeth, were both old, way too old to have children. So an angel comes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a baby. It's awesome news. And Zechariah doesn't believe it. So Zechariah doesn't get to speak until uh, the baby's actually born. But the angel says to Zechariah this, he says, and you'll have joy and gladness And many will rejoice at his birth. And he, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. All right. When the one who is born who is just going to announce the coming king, that's going to be a cause for joy. And he's going to have the Holy Spirit in him, on him, and through him even when he's still in his mother's womb. So do you know what that means? John the Baptist was the very first one who rejoiced at the coming of the Messiah. 
And that happened when Mary became pregnant. There was, you know, some scandal around that. You know, she's not married to Joseph yet. She's pregnant. What happened? She goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. And when she comes into Elizabeth's presence, Elizabeth said this to her. It's in Luke 1, says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Isn't that cool? The Holy Spirit reveals to John the Baptist in the womb, hey, Messiah's in your presence right now. The coming king is right in front of you right now. And John the Baptist leaps for joy. Um, You know, how many of you have seen a a really pregnant woman? Like, you know, like like right before that baby's going to come and you see elbows poking out. And, And I mean, I remember occasions where, I won't mention who, but uh, I saw the belly, like on one side, it would just be bulging out right there, and it's not here. And you know, the kid turned around and stuck his head out, or is kicking his feet out, or his knees, or whatever. In this case, John the Baptist does a somersault in the womb. And if, if they'd been twins, they would have been high-fiving in there. But uh, he's excited and thrilled because he's in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. Side note, that baby's a human being, Okay. And, and even Jesus at this point was, was three months less developed than John, but he was a human being, and they needed to be treated as full human beings with all the rights of human beings. How did John know? How did a baby in the womb know? Well, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him so that he just experienced this, this incredible joy, this burst of joy. Once again, that's revelation. So we see then later, uh, the night Jesus is born, um, there are shepherds out in the field, and an angel comes to them, and he gives them this message, this really cool message. It's in Luke 2, and verse 9 and following. And it says, the angel said to them, fear not, do you know, these angelic visitations in the New Testament often were accompanied with those words, fear not, because there were so many stories in the Old Testament of angels showing up, and it wasn't good news that they did. But here, the angel says, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, that includes you and me today. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means anointed one. And so they're saying here, yeah, this whole thing is cause for great joy. And then do you know what happens? Tens of thousands of angels are revealed in the heavens. They're already there. It's just all of a sudden, here they are. They can see them now, and they're all singing, glory to God. And, And they're worshiping God. Can you imagine what that would have been like to be there and to see that? I mean, do you ever go out, have you ever on a starlit night gone out into the country where there's no city lights to dampen everything, and you just look up and it seems like the stars are just, it is so amazing. We went a summer ago and watched a meteor shower with some good friends just outside the city, and just an amazing thing to watch all these, one meteor after another, shooting through the air, shooting through the sky, and... um, And this would have been so much better than that. Now, I have to tell you this. Why do you think human beings are so fascinated with fireworks displays? 
Why? I think in our heart, we really long to see the sky filled with angels. I think in our hearts, there's something there saying, hey, there's got to be more. The sky's awesome. Those stars, awesome. Something else there I can't see. I want to see it. And this angelic revelation and visitation is, is something we're all longing for because it reveals the glory of God. And, and it's all cause for incredible joy. So what we see next here is this, the wise men. So these wise men, some, some say they were astrologers, some say they were kings, whatever they were, um, they, they've traveled a long distance. They get here actually months after Jesus is born. So they, they don't get there the same night. But they've traveled through some dangerous territory to get there. They come to Jerusalem, and, and they're being led by this star and, and a, a light, a heavenly light that is leading them. And they get to Jerusalem, and the star disappears. And so they go, they're, they're asking around, and the king gets word of it. He wants to talk to them. The king gets some of the scholars involved, and they mention Bethlehem, and they talk to King Herod. And it says when they left, the star reappeared. And the star was now directing them due south to Bethlehem. And what we read is that when they saw the star reappear, that it says when they saw the star reappear, this is Matthew 2, 10 and 11, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house when they got to Bethlehem, uh, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, when it says rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, what do you think that means? Think it means they looked at each other and kind of like smiled? <laughs> I, I heard a joke once. A, um, this was a woman sharing her testimony, but she was a, a comedian. And she said that when she grew up, they had a midweek service, and they always had the microphone open for anyone that wanted to testify, you know, talk about good things God's doing. And she said that this one woman in the church was known as the grump of the church. And she, but she would always stand up every week and say into the microphone, I've got the joy of the Lord down deep in my soul. And the woman telling the story said she would sit there as a young girl and think, it must be way down deep, way down deep. Okay, here, joy has to be visible. It has to be visible. There has to be something you see. Now, the, the last week we had our last nights of, last Sunday, our last night of Sockham. And so we, we had a, a, a potluck dinner together, and then Sockham 2, Sockham 1 came out here into the auditorium and met, and Sockham 2 went back into the room that we meet in. And, um, and, and we came to the point where the Sockham 2 class breaking up and working on their kingdom projects. So they're all talking. And I walked out here, and they were doing a fire tunnel here. Do you know what that is? That's where you have a, a line of people, and you walk down through, and they all just pray for you. You can call it a prayer tunnel if you want to. It's an awesome experience. The Holy Spirit's there. There's music playing. And it's just a powerful, wonderful, exciting thing. And I came out, and I watched that for a few minutes, and... And, and um, I walked back into the other room, 
And uh, one of the people in there looked at me and said, what's going on out there? You look way too happy for them just to be having their class. And there was joy in here. And I couldn't help but walk away smiling, just grinning ear to ear and walking into the... See, joy has to show itself. Joy can't just be way down deep in my soul. If that's the case, then man, you got to let it out. Figure it out. How do you get it out? And so these guys, I picture them like the the modern day equivalent of high fives. I think of end zone celebrations in the NFL, chest bumps. I don't know what the equivalent of that would have been in their culture, but it was an emotional culture and it was an expressive culture. So you can believe it wasn't just them smiling at each other. There was more than that because it was exceeding joy that they experienced and they released. So... Um, how did they know? How did they know? How did they know this light in the sky? There's a king born, king of the Jews. He's going to be the king of the whole earth. How did they know that? How did they know? Come on. I've already told you. Revelation. God revealed it to them. I don't know how, maybe, maybe they had Old Testament scriptures and they were reading through them. And God gave them revelation through reading some of the prophecies from the Old Testament. Maybe an angel showed up in the middle of the night and spoke to them and told them, hey, you guys got to you know, pack, your, pack your camels because you're going on a trip. I, I don't know what happened, but I know this. They did not come to this understanding through natural insight. It was through revelation. And revelation is key to joy. It's key to joy. When God reveals to us something that maybe we already knew intellectually and he shows it to us in color, it's joy is the result. And so that's, that's what they're experiencing is this joy that comes with the revelation of the Holy Spirit, of who God is, what he's doing, what he's doing around you, what he's doing in you. When we see that, there's joy, and we can't help but be joyful. See, God wants to open our eyes just like he opened the, the wise men's eyes. Just like, he, just like he opened the shepherd's eyes, just like he opened John the Baptist's spiritual insight and understanding. He wants to do that for you and for me. We see that in Revelation 1. The apostle Paul says this. Uh, he's, uh, 117, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Now, some translations say wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You could mistake that to mean that I get more facts about God. God reveals more facts, but that's not the point here. The point is wisdom and understanding in knowing him, not just in head knowledge about him. And so revelation is what enables us to relate to God more fully and to, to enter into this joy that comes with understanding what he's doing. Now, second thing that God does, second thing the Holy Spirit does for us, not only just shows us, he actually puts joy in us. And in the book of Nehemiah, there was uh, the, these Jews that had come back from captivity are now restoring Jerusalem and the temple to to everything uh, that, that, that God wanted it to be and at that season and time. 
And they come to this uh, milestone moment where in Nehemiah 12, 43, it says, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them what? Great joy. So what they rejoiced, but where did they get the joy that they were rejoicing in? From God. God gave it to them. And so joy is a gift from the Holy Spirit to us. And when we receive it, when we experience it, we need to fan it into flame. Apostle Paul told Timothy he needed to fan into flame the gift of God in him. And so when you, when you experience a spark of joy, don't ignore it. Fan it into flame. Go with it. Respond to it. These people had joy given to them, so they rejoiced. And when that happens, it multiplies. Whatever God gives to us, when we handle it and steward it in the way he wants us to, it then multiplies. And so when we receive this joy, we need to go with it, flow with it, and allow it to, uh, to, to, to grow within us. Because th- this might be surprising to you, but Jesus wants you to have his joy. You're not left on your own. Remember, Holy Spirit gives us joy. Jesus says, I want you to have my joy and you see that in John 15, 11, where Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus' joy, might be in you, and your joy might be full. And so he says, I just want to infuse my joy into you so that the joy you have can be everything God wants it to be. Your joy can be completely full, overflowing and full. And so Jesus later says this, in John 16, 22, he says, so also you have sorrow now. This is the night before he dies. He's going to be crucified the next day. They're going to be sorrowful when he's crucified. But he says, but I'll see you again. He's going to, he's going to rise from the dead. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus wants to give us his joy. And he says to them, days coming when no one can take your joy, the joy I'm going to put in you, no one can take that away from you. And so how does that work? Well, here's, here's what he's saying. Again, the Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside believers after the resurrection of Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. What's second? Joy. Joy. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Jesus-style joy. Jesus's joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us. That means that you and I as believers constantly have the joy of Jesus in us. It's always there. And sometimes it's just a matter of us breaking through the lies that we believe that try to that, that mislead us into thinking it's not there that I couldn't experience joy in this situation. How could I look at what's happening? And yet, look in Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 52. You know, what's, what's happening here is the Apostle Paul has just been kicked out of town, persecution's happening, and so the guy that led all these people to Jesus is gone now. He's being kicked out of town, chased out of town, and there's still persecution, but look at what it says. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit and joy are just integrally related. You can't, you can't have one without the other. And you've got the Holy Spirit, 
So you've got his joy. And so sometimes it's just as simple as saying, wait a second, I've got joy. I have joy in me. And, and all I have to do is just kind of like let that out. And when I really begin to start believing that, then my mind, that renewal thing I talked to you about at the very beginning happens. My mind is renewed, and, and I begin to see I have the joy of Jesus in me. I have his joy, and no one can take that from me because the Holy Spirit's in me. And so I, I need to kind of like rest into that joy and allow that joy to bubble up and, and overflow into my life. Now, in case you're wondering, why would I want Jesus' joy? Um, well, let me say this. In Psalm 1611, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. It's God's presence that brings joy. Holy Spirit is God. He's in you. He reveals Jesus to you. He releases the joy of Jesus in you. And you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so Jesus in us. Hebrews 1.9 tells us something about Jesus and, and the joy that he had. Okay, in Hebrews 1.9, here's what we read. It says, and this is a prophecy the writer of Hebrews is quoting, but it's a prophecy, a promise made to the Messiah. And it says, you, Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Okay, gladness. Gladness and joy are the same thing. Listen, if you think Jesus went around with this serious, sour look on his face all the time, kicking the dirt and mad at people because they're sinners and looking around, I mean, there were times he expressed anger, but when he expressed anger, it was at self-righteous leaders who were misleading people. That, that's when Jesus got angry. But if you think he went around sad and grumpy and kind of mean-spirited all the time, then you're missing the point. He, he says here, he was anointed with gladness more than all of his companions. All of these, there were dozens of people that followed him around. Jesus was the happiest, most joyful guy in the crowd. And that's, that's the joy. Yeah. That's the joy you've got in you. And so when you hit those rough moments and you're thinking, oh man, how can I take any more? And you start to get depressed or something happens and you, and, and you don't feel joy at all, but you feel despair. Whatever emotion comes crashing in, this is where mind re- the renewing of the mind, the more your mind is renewed, the quicker you get back to joy. Because the more your mind is renewed, the more you understand about who you are in Christ and what you can lean back into because of who Jesus is and how he has made you. And so sometimes it's when you, when you might be struggling, it might be as simple as just praying and saying, this struggle, this emotion that I'm feeling right now is not the real me. Because I am new, I am righteous, I am fit for the kingdom. I'm a kingdom person, and there's joy in the kingdom, and Jesus is in me. And so this emotion I'm experiencing, I don't have to give into it and allow it to run my life. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Understanding that truth releases the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and the power to say no to one thought and yes to another. Sometimes what you need is a nap. 
It's the truth, isn't it? You lose sleep for two or three days and you lose your, your mind starts to fluctuate. And, and you need to sleep. And then you wake up and you think, why was I so worried about that? Sometimes, have you ever had this happen? You go for a, maybe you go for a day or a few hours or maybe it's at night and you're just so worried about something. It just seems like the whole world's falling apart. And then you come to a point where it's almost like, like you wake up and you think, wait a second, why am I so worried about that? God's got that. Why is that bothering me so much? That's a moment of revelation, by the way, okay? And what we want to do is have our minds renewed with Scripture, with truth, where we're not just memorizing the verses, but they're becoming part of us so that we look at life through the, that grid, so that that's our mindset, our worldview of life. And then that, that moment will come a lot sooner, where, where that moment of revelation where, where we say, oh, wait a second, I don't need to worry about that. God's got that. Oh, yeah, I remember. I prayed about that, and the Lord reassured my heart that he's handling that. Or, oh, I got this prophetic word. Or, oh, I have this promise in Scripture. And we get peace, and we get to walk in his joy then. So uh, just to end everything here, I'm just going to say these four things. Then Lee's going to come up and lead us into the offering. The worship team's going to come up. But uh, God created us to live with joy, Okay. No depression, anxiety, fear in the Garden of Eden. He created us to live with joy. Jesus came to restore us to joy. All right? The Holy Spirit gives us Jesus' joy. And nothing, no one can take it away from us. Okay? All right, so let's, let's just start to live more and more there, okay? That's good. You can clap. This is awesome stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your joy. We just want to walk and experience your joy, the fullness of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, thanks.